Yeah, let's, let's pray. Let's pray for Jesse and Levi in Seattle and the trip trip with the brother. His brother and wife are with him. I think that's a pretty important time. Um, there's a lot of family to stuff to deal with. So I'm excited for them and and for Becky it over at Calvary Bible. The sick boys. God, I thank you that you care. I thank you that you care when um, when your family's not together, when your um, family's not being able to love on each other and there's people missing. You care about them being out and being about what they're being about. I, I, I'm confident they're all being what they're supposed to be doing, but God, I, I do ask you to... I know Beck is pretty, pretty tuckered right now. Um, seems like there's been a relentless relentless barrage of kids being sick. I thank you for protecting Beniah. That's an amazing thing. Um, in the midst of his siblings continuing to get sick. and I thank you for protecting him. I ask that you would give them a good morning. A morning when they seek you. A morning when they cry out to you. A morning when they're able to find somewhere in the midst of the sick kids some stillness. God, I, I, I want to pray for Jesse and Levi and, um, and their time in Seattle. I don't know, I'm sure they're traveling sometime today, but that it would be a time when they, Jesse reflects back on the year she was there and where her years are now and Levi and her both are able to to take time to step back and consider life. Um, I know that they're probably they're they're done with their primary objective and knowing my goal orientation, my daughter, she's probably all about wanting to get home to her kid. Um, but I thank you for Peyton. I thank you for the joy that you've given Jean and I with Peyton. Uh, ask you to give them time with their brother that would be bring you honor and bring you glory as they talk about family issues. That you would bring that up and bring it to the forefront and cause them to deal. Okay. Pray for Becky at Calvary Bible that she'd be a light, that she'd be salt, um, that she'd be able to minister to the girls, continue ministering to the girls that are there, that they would know that she loves them and, and is in support of them. You'd give her wisdom to deal with the people, the adults, and not just have it be a little missionary presentation, but give them wisdom and to be able to convey how you moved in the hearts of kids. I ask that you teach us today. I am really excited but um, really feel burdened to to try to express what I know you want to express out of out of what you said, Jesus. So in my stumbling and bumbling and inability in myself, I ask you to overcome and speak your truth in spite of me and open our hearts to hear your truth so that we'd be changed. I ask that God, please, I ask in the name of Jesus, you wouldn't let us go out of here unchanged, any of us, um, for your kingdom and for your glory.
for your honor. Amen? So, Matthew chapter 5. Any of you been uh, repetitively reading in the Sermon on the Mount? Yeah, some? A little bit? No? Do it. Do it. Ray, is that going? Or are you on? Or are you just checking to see if I'm legit or what? Am I legit? Okay. I want to hold your hand, so that's what I'm saying. So... Matthew chapter 5. And when he saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him and opening up his mouth, he began to teach them, saying, the the thing to consider here is, you you might look at it like this. Matthew is really about the kingdom of God, about the Messiah. And and Matthew in his authoring and and writing was, is, is presenting the king, the Messiah king. And it's pertinent to, was pertinent to Israel and directed towards that, but also obviously incredibly pertinent to all of us. So he's, he's, he, Matthew is about that and, and the things that he records and, and how they're recorded, although, in, you know, obviously divinely inspired, um, have, have an emphasis to project the kingdom of God. The phrase is used a lot and the kingdom of heaven, the phrase is used a lot um, in, in discerning <clears throat> the distinction in the Messiah King and what he would reign and how he would reign. You might look at the Sermon on the Mount as being the constitution for that kingdom. Okay? I just ask you to consider that. I'm not, that's not a, uh, you know, a, a, a point of absolute authority, but I, I think that that's true. I think that the Sermon on the Mount is really the constitution for the kingdom of, of heaven, and it, it it is it is a reiteration of what the what the Jewish nation um, was saying. It's God declaring through Jesus Christ, who is God, declaring that the correct interpretation of that the. The Beatitudes, or the first part of it here, where it talks about blessed are those, how blessed are those, is is the description of the heart that's necessary in the kingdom of heaven. Um, so we, I think it's very important, and it's progressive in nature, the way that he says and what he says. Okay, it's not just a random, you know. Imagine that Jesus is not just random. But Jesus obviously being divinely, being divine, um, divinely inspired, divinely guided, completely submissive to God, to the will of God, to the Spirit of God, spoke um, precisely. Okay, we should always be very careful when you read something that that Jesus says, and it appears to be completely random and off the wall. Which, if you spend any time reading the Gospels, it will seem right. Um, we always should immediately go, there is nothing that Jesus said that was random. Okay? There is nothing that Jesus said that wasn't purposeful. And in, in, in this case, I'm confident that these, these blessings and these, these expressions of what our hearts should look like 
are basically given in an order, um, in a necessary order. Their attributes, the, the state of our hearts, the state of our souls that this depicts, the longings of our souls, the, the submission of our souls, um, the state of our flesh that, that this depicts in the Beatitudes, uh, again, is, is critical and essential for us to understand is, is the necessary, how it necessarily looks for all of us, right? This isn't, this isn't the, uh, the heart of some guys wearing robes or the heart of some full-time Christian service people since that is a misnomer anyway. This is truly how our, all of our lives as Christians, if we are born again, how our lives should look. So, in, in the other thing is that as we struggle through this, is if we read these and struggle and go, are you kidding me? Um, there's a side of us that really should, unless we have spent the time to realize that, understand that it is absolutely contrary to everything in the world in the flesh. Okay? These are not natural attributes that it's talking about. Right? And, and, and if we don't perceive them as absolutely contrary to anything in the world, we aren't understanding what they're saying. These, these are attributes of children of the kingdom of heaven, of, the, of, of children of the Most High God. They're not attributes of those who still are dead in their, in their sin. These are attributes of, of those who have entered into the kingdom of heaven. And that's his description here, and that's what he thinks. So, in understanding him, if we struggle, our struggle is my my own included. Felt the same way. Even the disciples, being Jews, felt the same way. They were very much about establishing the kingdom. Right? We've talked about that a lot in the first part, where the they all believed that the Messiah was going to come and, and if this was him now, obviously he was going to kick the Romans out and he was going to establish his kingdom in Jerusalem. And, and they were very much about that and believing. And, you know, there was a group of people called the Zealots who were, who were rebels. You know, they, were the, they were the rioters. You know, they were the coming against the government. Um, and they believed, some of them believed that, that Jesus was a zealot. Um, he wasn't, but he had a different understanding of how his kingdom would be established. He did come to establish his kingdom. Be very sure of that. But it is not the way they looked at it. And, and, if you, and if you read the Sermon on the Mount, it goes very contrary to the way they would perceive you would establish the kingdom. Okay? Very contrary. So, but this is establishing the kingdom. Let me finish... Opening his mouth, he began to teach them, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. And thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. So, we, we, spent, we spent some time um, the last two weeks actually skipping a couple, but with 
but we spent some time going, looking at what it means to be poor in spirit and what it means to mourn. Okay, and and it's really important for us to understand that because blessed are those who gent, blessed are the gentle or the meek or the humble. For some translations say it, um, for they shall inherit the earth. Do some of your guys say meek, humble, or do you say gentle? Gentle. This is me. Heresy. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. The, 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 really not translatable well in English. Okay? And that we have to understand. It's not even, uh, really well translated in Greek. It's kind of one of those words that, um, primarily has its definition in the Bible. Okay, and it's important for us to understand. It's translated a few different things. Um, the word the word is pros okay, is the Greek word, but the, all of our definitions, our current English definitions, all have some problems in the, in the translation. Of trying to understand it here, and I believe that it's really important for us to understand. It, it makes no sense in and of itself. Okay. Um, how happy are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. How, how would we perceive? Would we perceive um, Alexander the Great as gentle? Napoleon Bonaparte? Um, Hitler? Um, any, any great conqueror? Um, Tilla the Hun? Not too gentle. You know, we wouldn't perceive him as being meek or humble even, right? How do you inherit the earth um, without dominance, without control? It really, it really makes no sense. I, I, and I really think that we need to understand here this, this, that little verse, verse, um, is a profound statement, okay? Our problem comes in our understanding of what inherit means, and it problem comes in our understanding of what the earth means, okay? Inheriting the earth would think that blessed are those who are born in Sun Valley to one of the families up here, right? To a trust fund family, right? I mean, isn't that what it is? You know, isn't that what we're saying? We tend to think of inheritance um, as as being what? Some kind of a some kind of a given something for being born. That, that's true. Unmerited. And that, that aspect of it has some validity and merit in what it's saying. Inheriting something is not by your labor. It's not even by your worth. Okay? It, it, is, it is inheriting. It, it's being given a free gift in a sense. But we tend to look at inheritance. We tend to hold on to inheritance as monetary. Of some, some, what's that? I would say most of the time inheritance probably is, although you could inherit some things that were would be negative, right? It, and I and I think that 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 would be you know what, what does the Bible say at one point the sins of the father shall be visited on for for three generations some say five generations okay it, would that be would that be a good inheritance I don't think so you know in doing it the what were you going to say? Yeah, seven generations depends on where it says it. Different places, huh? And 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 so I, 
inheriting um, something is is really important for us to understand. When we tend, when we look at inheriting the earth, we would we would naturally say, and, and I don't think it's just me, but I would naturally say, make, inherit the earth. That means all the riches of the earth. That means the wealth of the earth. That means the blessings of the earth. That means the material wealth of this earth. You know, because we tend to interpret that way. I think it's very important for us to look at what he's saying because um, I would say it's probably about 180 degrees to our natural tendencies to understand what it means. Um, So, the first thing I'd like to look at in those blessed are the gentle for they shall inherit the earth. I'm not sure that gentle is necessarily the best translation but in some ways, yes. Okay, It was a Greek word that was used um, Actually, it was used describing a horse that was broke. Okay? In a horse that, gentling a horse is actually the word that you would use. And this is a horse that is brought into submission to the rider, right? Brought into submission to the, to the bit that's in his mouth. Um, it doesn't mean broken in spirit. Again, the word is pros. Let me read, this is a Greek dictionary that my buddy here, we, we actually went through this once back a while, okay? When we talked about what meekness looks like. And in this case, um, the, the word is, again, it's translated sometimes gentleness, sometimes meekness, sometimes humility. Um, although none of them are complete. None of those are, are good, complete definitions of what it looks like. And if you can follow this a minute with me, um, and I would ask you to try to, because this is very good um, foundation for understanding what Jesus is trying to say here. So, pratis um, denotes meekness. Okay, It is used in Scripture, in its use in Scripture, in which it has a fuller, deeper significance than the non-scriptural Greek writings. It consists not in a person's outward behavior only, nor yet in his relations to fellow men. Okay, it's not. So what what does it mean in Scripture? How is it defined in Scripture? Remember, Jesus said that he was meek. Okay, um, the the description of the Messiah King is meek. Okay, that's the same word, cross. That's the description of the Messiah King. All right. There in its inrot. Grace of the soul, where this is, and the exercise of it are first and chiefly. Okay, the exercise of this of, of the word described in the Bible is chiefly towards God, foundationally towards God. Okay, we we, we what's very difficult for us to get rid of is to to equate our concept of passive of a passive man, okay, or of a timid man or of a weak man, or a man that's not capable. And that is absolutely contrary to what this this word is actually depicting. It is that temper of spirit, that control of spirit, which we, in which we accept his dealings with us as good, and therefore, without disputing or resisting. Okay? Equate that to the horse. Okay? Is that temper of spirit in which we, in which the horse accepts our dealings with him as good, 
without disputing or resisting. Okay? It's submitting to the authority over him. Alright? Very important thing to understand. This, again, this is not an inherent weakness of our soul. It is closely linked with the word humility and follows directly upon it. Um, the meaning of pratis is not readily expressed in English, for the term meekness, mildness, commonly used, suggests weakness and, and pusillanimity. Okay? We went through this one. That's actually the word, okay? Pusillanimity, okay? Is actually the word. It's a Greek word. That's actually an English word. We might have heard a conjugation of that or a shortening of that, but we haven't heard that word. We haven't heard you say it lately. Um, which that word means, actually, what that word means is a lack of moral courage. Okay? That's what the word means. The, 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 in English, it's, it, it's hard. the term means, the terms meekness and mildness commonly suggest weakness and a lack of moral courage. Okay? That, that, that's what, that's what they suggest. Okay? Greater or lesser extent, whereas Prates does nothing of the kind. It, it, it is, has nothing to do with that. It's the opposite of that. Nevertheless, it's difficult to find a rendering less open to objection than meekness. Gentleness has been suggested, but as Prates describes a condition of mind and heart, and as gentleness is appropriate rather to actions, this word is no better than that used in both English versions. This is a very important statement. It must be clearly understood, therefore, that the meekness manifested by the and commended to the believer is the fruit of power. Okay? Now, this is the dictionary. This isn't the Bible. is actually Jesus wasn't lacking in moral courage, right? Je- Jesus was not lacking in in strength, right? Where did Jesus' meekness come from? The fact that he knew he was the son of the most God. All the resources and the fullness of the deity of God at his disposal, Right? Was he afraid of men? No. Was there anything timid about Jesus? No. Was there anything passive about Jesus? Was him, him being abused and tortured and tormented ultimately and put on the cross, was that a result of his passivity? No. That was his willful submission to his Father. Right? And it did not come from weakness, it came from strength. It's very important for us to understand this when, when we understand what, what he's trying to say here. About inheritance, okay? What, what does that mean? The word inherit is, is an important word to understand. Um, Clarionomio is the word. It, it comes from Clarionomio and, and it means it means a lot, not, not necessarily a lot of designated as a piece of real estate, but a lot. Allotted to your charge. Okay? It means a lot, something that is allotted to our charge, given to our charge, put under our charge. That's what our inheritance is. Okay? 
if I inherit your debt, that becomes my responsibility, right? Right? If I inherit a treasure chest, it becomes mine to do with as I deem willing to do with, right? True with what we see, but this it doesn't just bring away and now we're free and now we have a trust fund and now I'm irresponsible. What inheritance means um receive as one's own, to obtain. It's the same word that was used by Nicodemus and many people when they confronted Jesus and they say, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Right? What must I do to inherit salvation? Right? I mean, the, the, the word obviously takes on an element of responsibility there. Right? It's not just, you know, what must I do to get free ice cream for the rest of my life? Right? I mean, the, 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 the word is, is definitely one of, of taking on responsibility with what is, what your inheritance is, right? So when he says inheriting the earth, what is the worth for the, the, I wish my daughter was here because I was going to ask her what the, what the Greek final of ology means. The, the word, and, and it takes on, um, and that's always the word used in the Bible for earth or sometimes world it's translated is G, G-E. Okay? It's where we get geology. I was going to ask her, I was trying to figure out what ology because it's like biology or theology. Study up? I, I, it, it, seemed, it seemed like, well, I wasn't sure either because I couldn't find it. I was looking through this morning trying to find what ology. I mean, you would, you would assume it would be study up and I would, but I was looking and I couldn't, couldn't find that for sure. Is that in, and in this case, G is the word used for earth. The word is used in the Bible of several things. It's used for earth, dirt, land, um, but it's also also used to describe this earthly kingdom. Right? Remember, we've talked about there's two kingdoms coexistent on this right now that we live in. Right? There's a kingdom of this earth, the kingdom of this world, and there's the kingdom of God. Right? And and and, and that is the, the kingdom of heaven is as much reality, even though we don't see it, is it is um, is the is the dirt we stand on and the dirt we live on, and the kingdom of this world. Um, so this this earth is is something that God created to bring to show His glory and show His power. Um, it's something He created for good, but sin is corrupted. Right? The Bible says that this whole earth moans and groans under the effects of sin. Right? And that, that's true literally not just of our souls and not just in a spiritual realm. It struggles with weeds. It struggles with disease. It struggles with all kinds of things that are, that are bad. It struggles with death. Right? Death was not part of God's intention in creation. It was, God never intended for Adam and Eve to die. That wasn't His intention. Death is something that was introduced solely through sin. It's, it's, it's why Jesus wept at the grave of Lazarus, right? It's why Jesus mourned when it talks about blessed are those who mourn. Mourning, the necessity of mourning. If we do not mourn, if we just laugh and pretend like everything is good, we do not see the effects of sin in this world. Okay? Jesus mourned at the grave of Lazarus, not because his friend was dead. 
right? He waited to go there when he knew he was sick, knowing he was going to die, and knowing full well he was going to raise him from the dead, right? So you would think if that if his, if if that's it, that was his perspective, it wouldn't have been weeping. The one time we said Jesus wept in the Bible, right? One of the times it says Jesus wept. The but you would have think he'd been going, oh yeah, watch this, right? I mean, I'm you know I'm happy because I'm going to raise him from the dead, right? He would have been excited, you know. He died, but it's all right. I'm, this is my best friend, right? This is this is this is a dear friend that I love. It says that he loved him, affectionately loved him, right? And so he was should have been excited. He's going to be raised from the dead. But what does it say? He wept. Why did he weep? He wept because of the effects of sin in this world. He was at Jerusalem at the time of the Passover. Do we see him being happy about that a lot? We don't, right? He'd gone into the, 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 the area of the temple, the courtyard of the temple where the money changers were. Was he happy? Or was he flipping over tables and driving out the money changers? Okay. He was sad. He was mourning. You know, this is not the way you, my father's house will not be a den of thieves. Mourning over sin and its effects. Not just on humankind, which I think was probably a major part of his response to the grave of Lazarus. But he was mourning over the effects of sin on, on the Jewish nation, on God's people, and how they'd perverted and lost sight of what they were doing and why they were doing it. You look at the leadership. He knew the leadership, the Sanhedrin, the body of people who judged the affairs of the Jews, the high priesthood. It was corrupt and vile. He was mourning over what happened. I think that we, when we look at how we are supposed to respond in this, what, what, how meekness how gentleness, I don't know that those words are really true. How pros, how, how the fruit of power is supposed to respond when we inherit the earth. What does that mean? Okay. The, the foundation of that is before this can take effect, before this is a reality, what does he say? I need to be a man who is poor in spirit, right? What does that mean? That I'm a pathetic, dysfunctional in the face of the earth? A burden to other people and just being a, a beggar by nature? No, it doesn't mean that. What it means is that I realize my desperate inability in myself to be reconciled to God. What it means is that I have no confidence in my flesh. What it means is that I am, I am, I am a man who is, realizes utter necessity of dependency on what Jesus did and on the mercy and favor and grace of God. Okay? That's poor in spirit. That's not self-reliant. And I mourn over sin. I see sin as God sees it. I see the effects of sin as God sees it. Because that's critical and essential. We cannot know the glory of the gospel without coming to a, to a destitute state in our life of realizing our sin and our desperate need for God. We don't preach that these days. We think that our life's okay. It's just got a few problems. And if we just add Jesus to it, it'll just get better. Jesus is kind of like dessert. 
Again, most people accept Jesus as a benefactor. They don't really see a need for a Savior because they're not poor in spirit. They don't mourn over sin. Okay? Let's be happy. Isn't that what God wants? He just wants me to be happy. Right? So, what's that mean? That means I should seek happiness because that's what God wants, right? We'll, we'll talk about in the next few weeks, seeking happiness always leads to destruction and always leads to sorrow. The Bible is really clear. We are never to seek happiness. Okay? We're to seek righteousness. We're to seek God. The Bible never says any... Happiness is the fruit of obedience to what God calls us to. Happiness is the result of having the right pursuits. It's not something that we seek and obtain. In inheriting the world... I, let me read it because I, I think that they... What does it mean that we've talked about we are born, okay, under, in, 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 let's understand the world as it exists. Let's, we are born under the dominance and control and power of the world, of the flesh, and the devil. Who controls the world and the flesh? Satan, right? Who is given dominion over the world and the flesh in this world? Satan. He's the ruler. He's the prince of the power of this air. Okay? Be, be clear. He, he doesn't need to be spinning heads to have control. Alright? He is the, he, he owns this world. He owns our flesh when we are born in sin. Right? The Bible says we are all born in sin. We're not, no, no man is good inherently. We are all born under, under the control of sin. Which, under the control of Satan. Obviously, he's the prince of the power of this world and his demons are in the mix on it. Okay? That, that's just the reality of it. So, when, is that what I... What does it mean to inherit the earth? Is that, do, I want to, do, I, do I want to inherit the riches? Be real clear, when, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, right? What, did Satan what, was, what was one of Satan's prime arguments, fights, when, when he said, okay, this is, a, this is a problem here. I realize this is potentially the Messiah. I, I realize this is the... And, and if he sets up his rule and reign, I understand enough to know that I'm in trouble. Okay? If he establishes... You know, he'd read the Bible. He, know, he knew the Old Testament, right? I mean, that's, he used that in the temptation of Jesus. I mean, he knew the Old Testament. Okay? And he realized that if the Messiah sets up to rule and reign... I don't fit in that picture very well. So what am I going to do here? You know, let me gain control of this guy so that he isn't the Messiah or, or so that I have control of him when he does become the Messiah so he can rule under my authority and my reign on this world. What did he offer him? He took him to a high place, it says, and he showed him all the wealth, all the majesty, all the glory of this world. I'm not sure where that mountain was. You know, maybe he's the first guy to climb Everest. I don't know. Without oxygen. Satan took him somewhere. And he looked out and he saw the, all the riches of the world. And, and, and I, I, you know, there's, a, there's an element of that, even though we don't understand it. We have to understand he made Jesus. Jesus was very cognitive and aware being taken by Jesus. Just like it says he took him to the temple and set him on the temple. Do we think that's like a misquote? Like that's cute? Like he didn't really mean that? Or do we think he really said, took him to the temple and set him on the temple? I'm pretty confident he took him to the temple. I'm not sure how that looked, 
You know, it was obviously a, you know, little transport scene. Walked, you know. There was, there was somehow a, something happened. Same, same here. What did he, the, the, Satan's best attempt, his A game to defeat Jesus was what? I, I will give you all the glory of this world, earth, right? Inherit the earth. You can inherit all the glory, all the riches, all the power of this earth. I will give them to you because they're mine to give. Was Satan lying? No, he wasn't lying. They are his to give. God gave him dominion over this earth. Okay? We, we, we equate far too closely and far wrong and, and very wrongly. We equate wealth and prosperity and blessing and ease of life with the, with, with God's favor. And we equate poverty or struggle or hard times or anything negative with Satan. That would be a very, very unbiblical perspective. Okay? When Jesus said, it's more difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. That'd be kind of like saying, like, a loving father then, his response to his child is to give him some heroin because it's the most euphoric thing you can know on the face of the earth. And, and think, oh, don't worry about it. He might be addicted or he might not doing it. But, you know, let, let me give you something incredibly dangerous. Right? It's potential for disaster. A camel doesn't fit through the eye of a needle. So, with man it's impossible, God said. He wasn't kidding. So, so that God always blesses with riches, which is the most difficult thing to deal with in this life. We really think God's going to do that to all of us? I don't think so. Okay? I don't, I don't think so. Is God going to provide for us? God promises to provide for us. We'll, we'll learn about this here later, okay? God promises to provide for us. But, but Him using wealth and to bless us, that's a very dangerous thing. Does He give people wealth in order to further His kingdom? He does. Are there few that can handle it? Few. Very few. That don't, that don't lose their desperate need for God in the midst of wealth. That don't lose their desperate reliance on God in their unlimited credit card. They don't lose their desperate need for God to provide for them and, and their reliance on God to provide for him as we never have issues going to the grocery store or going to the bank or going to whatever. Okay, That's a difficult place to exist and to live. So when we say that we're inheriting the earth, what, what do we think God is saying here? Let me, let's read a couple things. Let me read in Ephesians chapter 1 because this looks very different than I think. This isn't about we shall inherit all the wealth and blessings of the world. Again, I'm not saying that wealth in and of itself is wrong. Okay? But it's a very potentially dangerous thing. Um... And I don't think that, and that's not what God is talking about here, that we're going to inherit all the glory and wealth of this world. What, what we are going to give, remember what, what inheritance meant? It's, it's given the responsibility for. Okay? I mean, it, it goes beyond just a free gift that's handed to you. You know, the word means, it, it's that which you received as a gift rather than by law keeping, um, 
in this case by virtue of sonship, but it takes on responsibility with it. I am giving power and authority over this earth, over the the dominion of Satan in this earth. We need to understand that, that those who are meek that those who are are poor in spirit, that result which isn't the same as meekness, though, but those those who are truly meek in the way that the, the, the bias, look different. It's the fruit of power that is able to give us authority over this world. Okay, we need to try to make that transition. That is that what what is the result of not being having authority over this world? over the principalities in this world. We're in trouble. Does that look like happiness? Does that look like blessedness? When we're under the control of evil? It doesn't. How do we gain? We have a, we have a very different postulus. In, 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 there's a real weakness that, I, that we need to be very careful of. Our culture tends to look at the fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil, and against Satan, right? There's a power struggle, Right? That, that, that we mass forces and come up with great campaigns and go hard against, right? Whether it's a big missionary conference or, and, and I'm not demeaning those things in and of themselves, but that's the way we look at it, is a power struggle. Is that the way Jesus did it? Is that the way he came against it? Or was it in meekness? Okay. Was that in weakness by any means? No. But it was in meekness that he, and, and that's how God wants us to do it. As old as it is, um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason I too, this is Paul talking in the church at Ephesus, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ which exists among you and your love for all the saints, he's speaking to born-again believers, to Christians here, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Talking about inheritance again. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of his strength and might, with which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Okay. Now, this, this is where it gets, it's all important. Okay. But what, what is the meat shall inherit the earth? Okay? He brought about in Christ which he, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. What is our inheritance? Far above all rule and authority. This is talking about Jesus when, he, when God raised him from the dead. He seated him at the right hand of the Father far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who dwells all in all. Okay, well, that's talking about Jesus, right? That's not talking... Is that true? That's true. Okay? That, that, that is the description, though, of the authority that was given Jesus when God raised... Is that our inheritance? Well, that is speaking about what happened to Jesus. But let's continue. Okay? And you were dead 
in your trespasses and sin. It'd be really important to understand the wordage because it goes very contrary to the contemporary gospel. Okay? The contemporary gospel says you still are dead in your trespasses and sin. Even if you're born again, you're still bound by sin. Even if you're born again, you, you still have no control over it. That's just the way it is. And you're, you're bound in this life to just be a sinner. And that's the way it is. Right? What, is, what, is, what does Paul say about that? He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked. Remember, he's talking to born-again believers. All right? You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Remember, you guys think I'm a little woo-woo and talking too much about this prince of the power of the air stuff. It's not me. This is what the way it is, and it's the way Paul talks. Okay? According to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sight of disobedience. Among them, we too all formally lived, formally lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the and were by nature children of wrath, even as, even as the rest. But God, okay? This is a very important thing, understanding what our inheritance is, okay? And what, it, what our inheritance is on this earth. How it looks, our inheritance on this earth, okay? But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, alright? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And listen to this what our inheritance is, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In order that in ages to come, he might show the surpassing richness of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So we are seated next to Christ Jesus, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. All right? So, he gives us is the authority over this world to not be controlled by, to not be dominated by, to not be consumed by. And what is that? Where does that leave us? Okay, where does that leave us? And that that is not taken by force, right? It's taken by meekness. Okay, it's taken by not my will, but your will. Let me read. A little further in this definition, the common assumption is that when a man is meek, it is because he cannot help himself. But the Lord was meek because he had the infinite resources of God at his command. Described negatively, if you look at the converse, described negatively, meekness is the opposite to self-assertiveness and self-interest. It is equanimity of spirit that is neither elated nor cast down, not elevated or cast down, simply because it is not occupied with self at all. I realize that's a mouthful. But, but, but it, isn't, it isn't timidity, and it isn't prideful self-assertion, self-reliance, because it's a soul that is not occupied by myself. Okay? I, can, I reckon myself dead. Right? It's no longer I who lived, but Christ who lives in me. In this life which I now live in the flesh, the inheritance of the earth, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So, 
here we are in that place. So how does that look in our daily lives? Does that, what, what, does, what does meekness look like? There's a couple other passages I want to read. In Ephesians 6, here's what... Okay. Finally, brethren, verse 10 of chapter 6, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, of God's might. Meekness? Humbleness? Gentleness? It says to be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. Okay? Is that contrary? No, God doesn't speak contrary. Okay? If He says something, He means it. Okay? Those two go together. Right? We, t- we talked about it being the fruit of power. It's the response to that, that I seated positionally, I seated authoritatively at the right hand of God, alongside of Jesus, above all principalities and powers and rulers and dominions in this earth. So I inherit authority in this earth. Not from me, not from my works, not from myself, but from God. Okay? What does that cause me to do? Okay? Finally be strong. Look in this earth. Put on the full armor of God. Don't you all heard this? So try to listen because when we hear it, sometimes our hearts kind of go. I heard that before. Okay, don't do that. Put on the full armor. Look like stand firm. That isn't tower. That isn't timidity. That isn't submission. That isn't getting your feet kicked. That's not passivity. There's nothing passive. Is there anything passive in the suggestion of standing firm? There's nothing, that is not a passive act. That, that doesn't say you necessarily you're charging down the road on a white horse. Okay? But what does it mean? You stand firm against the scheme. Stop and eating chocolates, you know, or I can't quit drinking Diet Coke, or I can't deal with my sexual life. He says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Okay? This earth. That's what he's talking about, this earth. The domain of darkness. The kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of this world. The, the rulers of this world. And the kingdom of heaven. And that's the contrast he's up. Don't want to read this, man. I mean, it's just about having a job tomorrow. God says that our struggle is for. Therefore, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Therefore, take up the full on. Day and having done it, stand firm. firm. Faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, with firm petition. All times and when this would this be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. 
stand firm. That's what meekness and humility. There's nothing timid about standing firm. Okay? There's nothing passive about standing firm. Okay? But it's not, this has, is completely contrary to self-assertion. This is standing in the identity and the reality of who I am as a child of the Most High God. Without this, we're going to get beat. It's really, really important. It's not matter anymore. It's really In fact, I, I would go so far as to say the degree we are saturated in the Old Testament, we'll be able to understand the New Testament. And to the degree we are not, we won't. Okay? Because the New Testament really doesn't make much sense um, without understanding 2,000 years written down of God. Again, look, you see the difference, you know? This is the Old Testament here, you know? This is the New Testament here. What emphasis did you think God put on? I think this was divinely canonized, put together, ordered by God, preserved for us, okay? Where does God put an emphasis? You know, um, New Testament important? Absolutely. But, but it's very, very hard to understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. The Old Testament is, is the same God, the same heart. He hasn't changed, right? There's no difference. Same God, okay? The same working with people. It gives us the, the way that he, he worked in the Old Testament. He, he, did, he worked within the kingdom of the earth in order to give us the picture of what the kingdom of heaven looked like. Right? He chose his specific people in order to work within them to, to show his truth, to give the law to the world. And he chose, he chose to do that in the Old Testament. And so there's, a pic, there's pictures of what the spiritual realm looks like. Right? We have to understand that. Do we go fight the Philistines now? Is that our job? Okay. Is that our enemy? You know, that's not our enemy. Okay? The Amalekites, okay? they're not our enemy okay? anymore. Well, they might have tried to kill us recently and bomb some towers or something, but still, we don't, we don't, we, that, that's not our enemy. Okay? That's not who we fight against. It's not against flesh and blood, right? It's in the spiritual realm now. But he does, the, the pictures that he gives us do teach us how to fight. The descriptions that he gives us are about fighting. When he talks about the exodus from Egypt, that is the the absolute necessity of all of us in all of our lives still today to be drawn by God, called by God out of Egypt, out of the world. Okay? That is a picture of what's necessary in our lives. In the way that functioned, in the way that happened. In the reality of the fact that even though he called all these people out of Egypt, what happened to most of them? Many are called, but few are chosen, right? What happened? Most of them died in the wilderness in rebellion to God. It was only Caleb and Joshua and their families that crossed over in, in the children that were under 18. They crossed over in the promised land. Most of them didn't, even though God called them. Even though God took them around Sinai and did some really powerful things. You know, lit a mountain on fire and gave them manna every day and led them through and defeated enemies, opened the Red Sea, right? I mean, really did that, opened the Red Sea, they crossed through on dry land. Okay. Delivered them out of Egypt with all the riches of Egypt. 
The people gave him their gold and silver and all their, their stuff to come out of Egypt with. They thought they were just going to go out for a couple of days and worship their God and then come back. It can be their slave. Little did they know. You know, absolutely watched the, the oppressors of his people. God literally destroyed probably the most powerful nation on the earth in Egypt. Destroyed it. Devastated it. Gone. For oppressing his people. The judgment of God. Even though seeing all these things, when they got to the Jordan and they looked over and God says, this is the land I have given you to possess. Follow me in. What did most of them do? Uh, they're giants. They're fortified cities. That, I might have to give my life up for that. I know, I'm, I didn't buy in for that. I just wanted you to bless my life. I just wanted you to hand this to me and give this to me. I, I didn't want to have to take it or risk my life. to do. I don't want to give up my life. What happens when God calls most of us? Where does it come to a point in our life? Wait, that means i got to die to myself? I gotta give up my life? I didn't buy in that. Where's the, I wanna go back to the leeks and onions by the Nile. I wanna go back to, to Egypt. You know, where it's safe and secure. I wanna go back somewhere else, right? That's what happens to most people. This is a picture that God gives us of what our spiritual life looks like. Psalm 37 is another one, okay? So, listen to look what it means to be blessed are the meek. How happy are the meek. How happy are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Here's a, here's a picture that God gives us in Psalm 37. This is David talking. Fret not. Fret, fret means to heat or boil, to be boiled over about, to be outraged by. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious towards wrongdoers. Okay? Looking at the world here. We've got the world and the picture of the world and what it looks like. For they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. What does it mean to be meek? What, what does it mean to be that horse that surrenders to his master to the bit, right? right? What, to not exert his own will, but to be under the authority. What does it mean to be meek before God when we do not fight at what he puts in front of us, but to submit to his authority, okay? What does it look like here? Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He will do it. Trust. Dwell. Commit. Delight. Okay? And He will bring forth your righteousness as a light and your judgment as a day. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not. Do not boil over because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not. It leads only to evil doing, for evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord will inherit the land. Shall inherit the earth? Ah, that's, that's the same word. Okay, That's what he's talking about. For those who wait on the Lord will inherit the land. Yet a little while, and the wicked will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land, and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. They will be blessed. The wicked plots against the righteous, and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and bent their bow to cast down the afflicted. That's what you'd think 
That's the people who inherit the earth, those who take it, whether inherit on a small portion or inherit on a big, those who are self-assertive, those who are self-reliant, those who are self-aggressive. Okay? The Lord laughs at him and he sees his day as coming. The wicked have drawn their sword and bent their bow to cast down the afflicted and the needy, to slay those who are upright in conduct. Their sword will enter their own heart and their bows will be broken. That's inheriting the earth. That is God going before us and fighting. Better is a little, better is the little of the righteousness, the little things, the little amount of the righteousness, than the abundance, not the righteousness being little, but the things they have, than the abundance of the many wicked. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord will sustain the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and the inheritance, their inheritance will be forever. They will not be ashamed in the time of evil, and in the days of famine they will have abundance, but the wicked will perish. And the enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the pastures. They will vanish like wildflowers. They will vanish like smoke and vanish away. The wicked borrows and does not pay back. The righteous is gracious and gives. For those blessed by him will inherit the land. Isn't that the same statement? Blessed are those. Blessed are the the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. For those blessed by him will inherit the land. But those cursed by him will be cut off. What does it look look like? Is it self-reliance to be meek and humble? Or is it trusting in the Lord? Committing your ways to the Lord? Delighting yourself in the Lord? Resting in the Lord? That's what it means. That's what it means. This is, not, this is the fruit of power. This is the fruit that comes from being delivered from the authority of and power of the world and the flesh and the devil that we're born into and all of us are subject to and we have no choice in the matter. This is the result of being delivered from that, being seated at the right hand of God above all principalities and authorities and powers and functioning in that. Functioning in that is meekness. Functioning is in that is paras. The way the Bible defines meekness. That is not timid. That is not weak. That is not passive in any way. Those are human, fleshly, selfish characteristics. Those are not godly characteristics. Those are human, fleshly characteristics. Okay? You can read, timidity is listed in the Bible with some grave sins. We tend to think it is okay. Cowardice, unwilling to do, have the, to, to act correctly, to have moral courage, is not honored by God. God hates it. God puts it in the list of murders. Because it's ultimate selfishness. It's self-defense. It's defending yourself. A passive man is not a, is not a godly man. A passive man is a selfish coward who thinks more of himself than other people. You look at the distinction on, on what we call a man, and this would be a godly man, okay? A, a boy is what? A boy who doesn't, is a boy, is somebody who isn't able and doesn't take responsibility for his actions. What does maturing bring? What does maturing into a man bring? Okay? A man takes responsibility for his actions, right? No matter what the cost, he does the right thing. What would a hero be? Or I would propose to you, what is a godly man? He does the right thing even at the risk of his own life. Right? That is what a hero is. You do the right thing 
you're submitted. Because why does he do that? Because he does not regard his life as the most important. He regards others' lives as the most important. He's not a selfish man. He's not a man that promotes, defends, protects himself. He is a man that lives his life poured out to others, that subjects himself to others. Right? That's love. That's what God commands us to do in love. He's a man who rests in God. He's a man that trusts in God. He's a man that delights in God. He's a man that's committed to God. Inheriting the earth is something that God gives us as a responsibility to be salt and light. And as, and as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, we realize this is a very heavy inheritance we've been given. Okay? Inheritance of the saints. It's the, it's the privilege and honor of being sons of the Most High God, submitted to the Most High God, living in the midst of this world which is held in control and power and authority of Satan, of darkness. And our inheritance is that responsibility to live out our lives as children of God with the fruit of power, with the fruit of the power of God. Not self-reliant, not self-assertive, but realizing our utter necessity of dependency on God, but what our inheritance is in that. Let's pray. It is a privilege and an honor to serve you, God. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to call on you as Father. And Jesus taught us how to address you and what our lives were to look like. He said, we, we are to pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will being done on earth is what our inheritance as saints is. Our inheritance is the responsibility to do your will on earth as it's done in heaven. That's without question. That's absolutely. That is totally surrendered and submitted. There does not exist rebellion in heaven or the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is where you dwell, where you rule, where your authority is recognized and submitted to. And you said to pray for that, 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 that your kingdom would come, that your kingdom would, would dis, be displayed on this earth and that your will would be done on earth here as it is in heaven. We do not do that by self-assertion. We do not do that by corporate displays of power. We do not do that by our authority or our boldness or our assertiveness. We do that by surrender and submission to you. And that's contrary to what it looks like in this world and in the flesh. We do that by meekness. We do that by submission, by surrender, by accepting your free gift of power and authority. It comes by surrendering our lives and being like Jesus. I thank you for that privilege of serving you. I thank you for that privilege of of honoring you in this world and and, and not only the right to do that, but the power to do that, the wisdom to do that, all the tools necessary to do that. I thank you for that. 
I thank You for Jesus for forgiving us, for forgiving us our sins and allowing us to be right with the Most High God. Amen.